I tell you what, there's nothing quite like the people listening. I was down here, and I like to sing, but I don't sing. But what I really enjoy on Sunday mornings is listening. And to hear the people of God sing praises to God, man, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. And I'm very grateful uh, for all of those who have led us in worship this morning. Uh, their commitment, their prayer life, their giftedness, uh, and then them just being here to lead you this morning uh, is just a wonderful thing. And I'm grateful for you as a congregation uh, to really pour out your hearts and have the joy that the Psalms talks about as we worship each and every week. Uh, I'd invite you this morning to take your copy of God's words, or we have some in the pews. Turn to uh, John chapter 3. We will close out the third chapter of John this morning. Uh, John chapter 3. I think this is the 13th or 14th uh, message, and there's still a lot, lot, of, lot of John left. So I haven't mapped it out to know how far. John chapter 3. What I want to think about this morning is decisions. I made a decision to get rid of that spider so we could move on with the service. See, I can segue into the sermon really nice. I want us to think about decisions, and I want you to think about the most important decision that you have ever made in your life. What is the most important decision that you have ever made uh, in your life? Uh, We have young folks who are at the end of their uh, high school uh, career, and they've got decisions to make. Do I go to college? Hopefully you've already made that decision. We're a little late in the process if you haven't, but anyway... Do I go to college? If so, what college do I go to? Duke University is the best one, right? <laughs> and half the church just like, I'm out of here. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I remember for me, I, I struggled with that. No joke. I, I, was, uh, I was set to go to play football at Guilford College on an academic scholarship. And then something, uh, you know, that I lost that. Y'all heard that story. I, I didn't get to go. And I struggled with where... To go to school. And I ended up at Pfeiffer. And why was that an important decision? Because the first day on campus I met my wife. My future wife. Huge decisions. Huge decisions. Some of us are at the end of our high school and like, well, do I just go straight to work? If so, what do I do? What's going to be my career choice? There might be some adults here who are like, you know, I'm just really fed up with this work thing. I think I'm going to retire. Right? I, I think I'm ready to enjoy the last few years of my life and I'm ready hopefully not a few hopefully longer uh, you know we need to retire uh, and we, we go through do I have enough money is you know my 401k is it good enough is it strong enough uh, am I going to be able to just do the things I want to do in my retirement buying a house is an important decision uh, and it's hard to buy a house right now. But buying a house is an important decision. Changing jobs is an important decision. Uh, now, you know I love football. And you know what this weekend was, right? The NFL draft? That's right. Those are important decisions that had to be made. I think the Panthers did a good job. Good decisions can alter the course of the franchise. From Instead of winning five games, they'll get to seven. So that's good. Important decisions. Who will I marry? What sport will I play? What instruments will I learn? Who will my friends be? That's a huge decision that we make. You know, because you know, the, the group of friends we hang out with, and, and students, this is for you, but adults, this is for us too. 
the group of friends we hang out with can kind of determine some things and guide us in this way. Or uh, if you're in a bad group of friends, then uh, you might go in directions and make choices that aren't really helpful. Uh, again, that's adults do that as well. Life is filled with important decisions. I think we can agree with that. I mean, and, and there's all kinds, I didn't hit all of them, but there's all kinds of important decisions that go into life. And those decisions can alter the course of life, right? You know, bad decisions can have long-term and short-term consequences. Good decisions can have more positive consequences. And it really gets summed up like this. Decisions we make can determine our destinations in life. Decisions we make can determine our destinations. Now, destinations can change. You know, you're driving down the road following the GPS, you know, you get to a different destination than you thought you were going to get to. So it's not, this isn't like, you know, I'm going to make a decision today. No. We make, constantly are making decisions, and those decisions guide and direct us to the destinations of life. As we wrap up the third chapter of John, uh, we're going to hear the writer of the book speaking to us. Uh, the Gospel of John does this. John gives us discourses. Like last week we saw this conversation between John the Baptist and these other disciples about the motivation of ministry. John the Baptist says it's time for me to decrease because Jesus has to increase. And so that that's kind of the narrative of that discourse, that conversation. And then John, the writer of the book, explains that to us, adds his commentary. And here he's summarizing both the conversations between John the Baptist and the disciples and then Jesus and Nicodemus. And he's closing out this section, or for us, this chapter of the book. And he's telling us that all of this that you've just read is pointing to kind of one main idea. That following Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. With all these other important decisions that we face every day, and with those decisions determining destinations along life, the decision to follow Jesus determines your eternal destination. You're going to spend eternity with God or separated from God. And so that's kind of what the whole of chapter 3 has been about, is making much of Jesus. The whole book to this point has been about how glorious Jesus is, how magnificent Jesus is, how splendid Jesus is, how supreme that Jesus is. And so when we get to these closing words of John chapter 3, we have to understand that following Jesus is the most important decision we will ever make in our life. Here's what John says, starting in verse 31 of John chapter 3. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on 
him. Powerful closing words to a powerful chapter of the Bible. And so what we see is reasons on why following Jesus is so important. Why we should follow Jesus and why it's the most important. When the first thing we see is Jesus is far superior to anything on earth. Jesus is far superior to anything. Now, in my house, we have one tool that is superior to all other tools. Something breaks. It's not the screwdriver. It's not the drill. I don't know how to use those things anyway. But you know what I can do? Duct tape. (laughs) Is there anything duct tape cannot fix? No, it'll fix everything except... And for, for my whole life, I'm like, duct tape's superior to every other thing. But I saw a commercial this week. I don't think it's a new commercial. I just don't watch a lot of commercials. Flex tape. Anybody ever heard this stuff? I want to tell you something. It, it, it'll catch your attention. Because flex tape, you got this 20 billion gallon bucket of water leaking. And he just takes the tape and smacks it on there, instantly stops the water. Duct tape can't do that. At least, I mean, I've never tried. But I don't think anyway. I'm, the guy, you've seen this. The guy saws a boat in half. Now, why you would saw a perfectly good boat in half, I don't know. The guy saws a boat in half, tapes it shut with the flex tape, and then I mean, we don't know. It could be a green screen. We don't know. It's an advertisement. But we're made to believe that he's on the lake, riding down, and the tape's not. He's holding the boat together. That's some good stuff. And they're like, it is triple thick. And they go through all, it is far, you know, they go, and they use the word superior and they got all these things. They're like, this is some superior tape. And I'm sitting there like, I think I need to go to Amazon. Because, you know, I might cut my boat in half one day. (laughs) Right? That's some superior stuff. Amongst all the other, you got gorilla tape, which I like some gorilla tape too. Gorilla glue, you got all this stuff, you got duct tape. There's all different tapes to choose from, but they've got the best commercial. All right. I mean, I'm going to buy some flex tape. Uh, I find, I see, this this has nothing to do. I want the commercial to show the whole thing. Like how long, I mean, you know that boat sank somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you, you know he didn't stay on that lake very long. Well, there, right? <laughs> That's right. I, I say that to say this. You know, we're bombarded with advertisements, right? That these things are far superior than these things, and you gotta choose this, and you gotta choose that, and this is better than that, and that's better than this. It's really no different when it comes to our faith. There's all kinds of different religions, and most religions will say, well, my religion's far superior than this religion, and you've got this, and you've got that. It's no different than John's day. When John's writing, it's later in the first century, close to the end of the first century, the people he's writing to are bombarded with choices of uh, pagan religions, idol worship. Uh, there's probably, it's hard to know for sure, but there's evidence to suggest there is actually a cult that has developed in the late first century that follows John the Baptist's teachings. Okay, so you start with that as kind of historical background. You see why John, the writer of this book, focuses on how Jesus is superior to John the Baptist, right? Because there's a small group of people that are claiming uh, that John the Baptist is superior to Jesus. And that John the Baptist, there's not a ton of historical evidence, but there's enough to suggest that that's going on. And so what John is saying here, look, Jesus is above all of those things. He is above all these pagan religions. 
He's above all, you know, John the Baptist, and this is illustrated in the fact he says the one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. John the Baptist was from earth. We know his, you know, his mom and dad, we can read that in the Gospels, and Jesus was from heaven. And, and now I know in the Bible you read that term earthly or fleshly, and it often refers to sin. Here it's a word that refers to limits. What, what we're seeing here is that the one who is from earth has limits. There's limitations. You know, if the older I get, I understand that I have limits. Anybody like that? The, the, I mean, the limits, I mean, I, I wish I could bench press 500 pounds. There's a limit. I, you know, let's be honest. I wish I could bench press 20 pounds. There are limits to what I can do. We are, as humans, we have limitations. I wish I could answer every single question that somebody brings to me about the Bible, about the gospel, about God. I wish I had infinite knowledge about those things. But I don't. I have limited knowledge because I'm from earth and earthly things are just limited. I don't have the capabilities. John, as power, John the Baptist, as powerful as his message is, as successful as he was, he is, he's got limits. But yet, Jesus, who is from above, is limitless. There are no limits to the, the knowledge that Jesus has. There are no limits to what he is saying. There are no limits to what he, uh, he, he knows or what he tells people. And so John, and so John the writer, is saying, hey, follow this guy because he's above everything. He's above everything. There's nothing above him. This goes back to the prologue, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If you are God, then you are limitless. Then verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became flesh. And as flesh, there were physical limitations. But Jesus himself is limitless. And he's far superior to anything else that is on earth. He controls everything. He knows everything. He is superior. Now, here's where things get off the rails for us, for you and I. Maybe maybe me. There are times when I think I'm superior. There are times when I think I know best. You ever been there? My, my 13-year-old daughter thinks she knows more than me. That, that happens at that age. She thinks she's superior. But Jennifer's got this thing. I say Jennifer because I've never rode it. We bought this little contraption we can put my bike on. It is my bike, but I don't ride it. And it turns my bicycle into a stationary bicycle. And so I watch, and Jennifer pedals, 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 and she works out really hard, breaks up a good sweat, and I'm like, mm, glad I'm not doing that. But, but I'm thinking, she's riding a bicycle, it's not going anywhere. She's just spinning her wheels. That's what life is like when we think we're superior to Jesus. When we think our plans and our ways and our paths are superior, then it's just like we're spinning our wheels. And we're not going anywhere. But when we put Jesus first, because he is first, when we put him first, then he's going to take us somewhere. See that? He's going to take us exactly where he wants us to go. Exactly to the place he wants us, because he has the superior knowledge of where he wants us to be. Jesus is absolutely 
superior. Second thing I want you to see is Jesus has a trustworthy testimony. Jesus has a trustworthy testimony. This is in 32. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. We have lots of stories today on these wonderful platforms of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter where we get a lot of secondhand source information. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I've got a source that said he talked to a source that said she talked to a source that said this. Well, I'm no lawyer. And maybe the attorney in the room can help correct me, but I think that's called hearsay. And I don't know if you've, Lord, I hope you haven't, but I've caught a few clips of this Johnny Depp trial where hearsay has been a big deal. In fact, a lawyer objected to his own question because it was hearsay. <laughs> like the first time in court history, I think. The guy asked the question, so go objection to hearsay. That's not trustworthy testimony, is it? Hearsay and all this he said and she said and second. It reminds me of the game of telephone. Anybody play the game of telephone? I thought about doing it this morning, but then I was like, nah, it'd take too long. You know, telephone is where like I would start with a goofy phrase and it would go around everybody and they would whisper it in each other's ear and it would get the Tommy back there in the back and it would be nowhere close to what I said, right? That, that, that's kind of what untrustworthy testimony is when it just keeps circling and circling and it gets twisted and changed that's the world we live in it's all these secondhand stories i want to hear it from the horse's mouth by the way that's what the bible says jesus testifies to what he has seen and what he has heard he has got a firsthand account of heaven you want to know what heaven is like because there's a lot of books and a lot of movies and some money has been made on, oh, this is what heaven's like. You want to know what heaven's like? Go to the source, the one who came from heaven. Read your Bible. I'm not diminishing those experiences. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying Jesus came from heaven. Jesus has spent time with God because Jesus is God. If you want to know something about the spiritual realms, don't get it from a secondhand source. Go straight to Jesus because it's a trustworthy testimony. Because he has seen it, he has heard it, he has been a part of it. Everything he says is what God says. D.A. Carson sums it up perfectly. Jesus so completely says and does all that God says and does, and only what God says and does, that to believe Jesus is to believe God. It's a trustworthy testimony, but even in this, this part of the text, people don't accept it. You got in verse 32, however, the, uh, 33, those who believe show their confidence, is another way to say it, in what Jesus is saying. In verse uh, 33, the one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. Here's what that little, little sentence means. It's me, it, the word is kind of, we set our seal, we set a seal on it. Back in the day before we typed out emails, we had letters. You might know what a letter is. And I'm not talking about typewriter letters, like handwritten fountain pens, maybe a feather ink. Things. They would write these letters. They would roll them up, put hot wax on it, and had and important people had a seal. And you would seal the letter shut. That way when it got delivered, you're like, oh, well, this is coming from this guy. It's trustworthy because it's got his seal on it. The testimony of Jesus has God's seal of approval. 
And when we accept it as true, when we accept it as Christians, what we're saying is we, uh, what we're saying as Christians is we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is true and trustworthy. And if it's true and trustworthy, shouldn't we believe it? Or shouldn't we obey it? Shouldn't we obey it? Keep that question in your thoughts for a moment. So we've got Jesus is superior. Jesus has a trustworthy testimony. And then Jesus has God-given authority. The love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is eternally perfect. We can think back to where Jesus is baptized and we see the Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove. And, uh, and the Trinity is always a very complex, complicated thing to talk about and to understand. But this phrase that you see in the text where he pours the Spirit out without measure, in a sense, it, it has this. In the Old Testament, let's go back. In the Old Testament, the prophets were given a measure of the Spirit so they could accomplish a task. You know, the prophets had a very specific task. They were given a very specific portion of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit to accomplish the task. But as humans, they were limited, right? Jesus has the unlimited Spirit of God poured out on him, where it's really the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are completely unified, working with limitless authority and limitless power, and it's God the Father who has given Jesus the Son all authority under heaven and earth. Jesus is in control of everything. Everything. And so why is following Jesus the most important decision you'll ever make in your life? Because he's superior to anything else you'll ever follow. What he says is absolutely, unequivocally, 100% true. And God gave him the authority to say and do all these things. Now stay with me, because the text doesn't end with just those three reasons. It gives us you know, the response. When you hear about Jesus and when you hear about the gospel, you have two options. It's really spelled out here in our text. The one who believes, this is verse 36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who believes. The one who says, I believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. The one who believes that Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world, buried, and three days later came back to life. The one who believes has eternal life. The second option is the one who rejects the Son will, watch this, will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. That word uh, rejects is really a word that means disobedience. To reject God means we disobey his testimony. We disobey his authority. We disobey his superiority. The Greek word that gets translated rejects literally should be disobeys God. To believe is to obey. To disobey means you don't believe. That, that, That makes sense to me. It should make sense. If somebody says that, you know, eating carrots is good for me, and I don't believe them, I'm not going to eat carrots. But if I believe them, I'm going to eat carrots. If my doctor tells me, you know, you need to lose weight, it'll be good for you. If I don't believe that, wait. Yeah, if I don't believe that, then I don't lose weight. 
That, that's one of those things I didn't write down that I may have just been talking to myself right there. Anyway. <laughs> to disobey means we do not believe. And if we do not believe, then we will not see life and the wrath of God remains on us. We live in a culture and a world where all people want to talk about is the love of God, right? That's all we want to talk. And listen, God's love is perfect. God's love is amazing. God's love sent his son to die for us. But God is a God of wrath. And we don't like to think about that. It's hard for us to accept that people die and go to hell and spend eternity separated from God. It's like, how can a loving God do that? A loving God doesn't do that. A loving God sent his one and only son to die for us so that we could have life. It is a rebellious people that choose to spend eternity separated from God. Because we choose to reject the son. The wrath of God is on all of us when we are born. That's the nature of sin. And it will remain on us unless we decide to believe in Jesus. Jonathan Edwards, the great evangelist, put it like this. Sin against an infinitely holy God is infinitely heinous and thus worthy of infinite punishment. Listen to that again. Sin against an infinitely holy God is infinitely heinous and thus worthy of infinite punishment. Those who refuse to believe in Christ are under the curse of sin and death, and they will remain under the curse of sin and death until they say yes to Jesus. And if you die under the curse, you stay under that curse. The Bible doesn't teach that there's going to be a second chance after death. This is your chance. Believe it, accept it, set your seal on it, or reject it and experience an eternal Separation of God poured out as God's wrath. So that's the two choices. Believe or reject. What will you choose? For those of us who are Christians and we believe and we've chosen to believe, it's a good reminder for us to see how much God loved us. How much God cared for us. That he made a way to save us. But for those of us who have never made the decision to believe, it's an important, it's the most important decision you ever make in your entire life. One of our great church fathers in AD 354, the year 354, a guy named Augustine, he was a bishop in Hippo. He, he has influenced believers for the last 1600 years. That's a pretty significant individual. 1,600 years. His writings have influenced people, are taught in our seminaries. But Augustine was a guy who was dominated by sin for a good portion of his life. He, he, he struggled mightily with lust uh, and sen- sensual pleasures that held him captive. He was really, his flesh had a tight grip on his life. By all outward accounts, though, he had everything together. But yet, on the inside, his soul was empty and unsatisfied. His heart was dead. But if you saw him, you never would have known it. 
And yet one day, God opened Augustine's eyes to his sin and his disobedience, and Augustine turned from his sin and followed Jesus. He rejected his disobedience. He called out to Jesus to save him, and here's how he describes that moment of his salvation. Augustine writes, How sweet it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which had once which I had once feared to lose. Let's do that again. I love this, this, he got saved, and this is what he writes. How sweet it was for me to rid myself of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. And he says, speaking of God, you drove them from me. You who are true, sovereign joy, you drove them from me, and you took their place. Oh, Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation. Whatever we're chasing after, whatever pleasures that are filling our hearts and our life, when God replaces those in our heart, may we too cry out, Oh, Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. The most important decision you can ever make is to follow Jesus. That decision will help you with all those other decisions that you are facing today. This morning, during our hymn of invitation, I'd invite you to make the decision to follow Jesus. If you've never done that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, then I'll be down here at the altar. I love to pray with you, or you can just come down here and pray at the altar yourself. If the Lord's leading you to be baptized, I invite you to come forward and share that with me and And we can celebrate that decision as well. But the invitation today is, are you ready to follow Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your love, your forgiveness. And we thank you for your word that shows us and reveals to us who you are and what you've done. Father, my prayer this morning is the prayer I've prayed for many weeks now. If there's anybody here who has never made that decision, that today would be the day that you transform their life, that today is the day that they cry out to you and replace their sin with their Savior. May it be a day of transformation. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, help us to live in obedience. Help us to study this word daily and do what it says to do daily. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that the Lord has spoke to your heart and has blessed you through this message. If you would like more information about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please reach out to us at one of the following locations. You can visit us online at chinagrovefbc.com slash salvation or check us out on Facebook. Facebook.com slash China Grove FBC. Thank you and have a blessed rest of the day.